It's time for a little something I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with David Forsyth from Edge of Tomorrow Minute, and it's time to discuss Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But they're erasing me, and I have no memory of any of this. So, welcome. I assume you're David. I can, yeah, I can verify about 30% of your statement. Okay. The rest, cool, cool, cool. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, I seem to have social media under the name, so I assume my notes are correct. Social media has never lied to anyone. No, never. So. Well, that's not true. I watch a lot of catfish lately, and it lies all the time. Oh, okay. I'm really good at it, though, I guess. At catfishing? I would be, but no, it, um, yeah. having social media accounts that are, you know, agree with each other. Ah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I still have a Tumblr. And a, <laughs> last I checked, my MySpace was still there, but I don't know how often they delete those if you don't sign in. Yeah, that's a good question. Friendster, you still got some Friendster going? I never had a Friendster. Oh, man. You're missing out. <laughs> That's where all the cool kids are. I have a TikTok, but I don't post anything. I have a, a Twitter. I have multiple Twitters. Yeah, I was going to say, I have, uh, most things I have that have yeah. of, like the zero posts variety. So If you know my name, you can find me on social media. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know my middle initials, you'll find a serial killer instead. Good luck. You'll never really know which one you found. Sorry, it's for me, as we're recording this, it's the first week of spring semester, and I have to tell my students that every time. Ah. If you're going to look me up online, include my middle initials. Yeah. I'm not a Scottish serial killer. He died in prison. Right. I do, unfortunately, look a little like some of the pictures of him, though. Especially right now with my hair cut short. Oh, well. Yeah. It's, it can be hard sometimes <laughs> to differentiate, but whatever. Yeah. We don't, he and I don't run in the same circles. He was in the UK. He was in prison. Yeah. He's dead. Yeah. I was going to say not anymore, you know. So, right. Yeah. Actually, I guess I was in the UK twice and he probably was there then. So, yeah. of course, I was a kid, which means he would have been more likely to have killed me than me mixed up with me. Oof. Uh, if you were a serial killer that only killed people with your name, just first and last, right? Not going crazy. Yeah. How long do you think you could go? I mean, your name is not probably all that uncommon. Judging by Terminator, the cops are onto it at the second one. Really? Okay. They were like, wait, another Sarah Connor died? This is weird. What do you got? Dead girl. I can see that. Sarah Ann Connor, secretary, 35, shot six times at less than 10 feet. Large caliber weapon. You know, these work. What's this? Dead girl, too. Sent over from the Valley Division this afternoon. I'm sure there's a point to all of this. Look at the name, man. Sarah Louise Connor. Is this right? You're kidding me. The press is going to be short-stroking it all over the place. A one-day pattern killer. Ugh. I hate the weird ones. Well, that's assuming if you, like, if you kill all of the... Let's say you go to Sacramento and you kill all of the Robert Blacks in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But if you kill one in Sacramento, then one in Pittsburgh, and then one in Edinburgh. and Oh, you know, then it's less yeah, obvious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to go kill one Robert E. Robert Black, not Robert E.G. Black. I don't think there's any of those. Well, if there are, I'm coming for you. Look out. Yeah. <laughs> I did once make the mistake of doing friend requests to every Robert Black I could find on Facebook. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My newsfeed got very confusing. <laughs> See that? Yeah. I had no idea who was who. Yeah. I think I'm still friends with a few of them, but most of them I unfriended later because I'm like, that that didn't that didn't go well. Whatever that was, it didn't go well. <laughs> Thank you for that window into whatever. <laughs> this is me on the internet. Yeah. I will have a whim and ruin a few days of my life with it. Yeah, why not? <laughs>
Now, Eternal Sunshine, Yeah, I guess is what we're talking about today. They are still on the train. And I learned that they most likely were filming with two cameras at the same time for this scene, Hmm. which is why we get that low angle shot in the row. It's because the camera person had to be out of the other shot. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. They ducked. And I'm like, that's cool. They filmed a lot of this that way. Well, if this really is an LIRR car, which I think it very well could be. I believe it is. It's an old style one. Like the, those leather-ish seats are not common. You can still catch one typically like late at night or maybe like sort of a little bit off. Like if let's say you were in Long Island on rush hour of people coming out of Manhattan Mm -hmm. and you were trying to go into Manhattan, you, you might get one of those older style cars. That's when they seem to appear is when all of the other cars are busy or are resting or whatever. But I have occasionally come across either a NJ Transit or a LARR car like that has this sort of old, and I, I, it even looks like it's got the three-two seat layout instead of the two-two seat layout. Yeah. I can't really tell, but it kind of looks like that. So that's definitely older style. Yeah, I don't know if they had their own train car for this or their own train, like a retired one was put on the tracks for this. But they filmed in an actual train, just kind of driving it back and forth. Yeah, and for a lot of this, they filmed scenes from beginning to end. And then would go and film it again just to get some possible edits yeah. if they needed to. Yeah, They had a, a camera operated by Chris Knorr, B camera operated by Peter Agliata, and they each had an ear rig so they could take instruction from Shao Gondry in the moment. Huh. The uh, director of photography, Ellen Curris, an American cinematographer, describes shooting on the train. Says we were shooting on a real moving train on real tracks. We only had a certain amount of time to get the scene. We had to use thousand foot mags to cover the scene in a one shot deal which is a killer way of shooting because you always have to be on. I, I had to look up how big a thousand foot mag was and it's pretty big. Probably heavy. Basically means a yeah. thousand foot of film yeah. stuck to the camera. Yeah. Michelle would often ask us to move the angle of the shot. We didn't know whether he would use these shots as one move. So we tried to make everything usable with all of that shifting, squatting and standing, working with the weight of a thousand foot mags and trying to slip between train seats with the assistant holding focus. The camera movement is not always the most graceful. In the final cut, not surprisingly, Michelle doesn't use any of the moves. <laughs> so they try to make every move smooth, and then he just didn't use any of them anymore. Yeah. I mean, this is a very handheld feel movie throughout, right? Yes. I believe everything in this film was handheld. Even yeah. when they used a crane, it was the old school crane where you're, a guy is sitting on it holding a camera. Yeah. So they didn't use a proper crane or a camera on a stand or anything. Yeah. And here we do get a little bit of camera movement as it's going back and forth between them as they're talking on the train. So this movie and I, I like this movie a lot. It's, you know, top tier movie for me. Mm-hmm. I do find it uncomfortable to watch depending on my mood though. Huh. Cause I, I've known a lot of people who made a lot of bad relationship decisions and spent oh, a lot yeah, of time yeah. sort of wallowing. It may have been one of those people myself at some point. Right. And this scene in particular, like I had an eerily similar experience on a commuter train going into Chicago mid afternoon on a work day, this, you know, girl, my age, uh, I was probably, I don't know, 20 ish at the time sitting by herself. I'm sitting by myself and we have this quirky sort of meeting. She had a lunchable (laughs) that she was eating, which was kind of strange for an adult at that point. Yeah. So we started talking about something and there was even like the exchange of contact information. Mm -hmm. But I, at some point I was like, well, I got to go do this thing. Even though she was clearly saying like, we're having fun. We should hang out. And I said, like, uh, it was too in my head right. to really pick up on that. And as soon as I got down the train stairs, sort of regretted it. Like him. <laughs> but yeah. I was going to say this minute has a very like direct 
you know, it's not like, oh my God, missed connections, totally regret for all of my life sort of thing. It's just no one likes to be reminded of their romantic failures, right? Right. Or when you were too dense to read the signals kind of thing. Yes. Like when I was in college the first time and I had no idea that a girl in my Spanish class had a crush on me. Yeah. Until it was too late. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly that. Because yeah, Clem, I love that it takes her a moment, but she immediately realizes now nah, this isn't working. Yeah. He's not going for it because he has some stuff that he probably should. You know, I'm writing. He's totally writing. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. And when she gets up, I love that she punches him so hard. Yeah. <laughs> it is no longer playful. Because there's where are we in the in the memory situation at this point right like well this isn't in the memory this yeah. is the afterward the present right the next day so there there's no when you know there's some bits where you don't fully understand if they had previously known each other or they're really still first meeting but this is pretty definitively first meeting still this is second first meeting ah right okay the beginning of the movie he wakes up after having his memory yeah 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 yeah. okay and then he goes to montauk not realizing why he went to montauk right okay and she went to montauk because she does that (laughs) right so they have familiarity without knowing their familiarity yeah and they probably no matter what they've erased they still each have a type sure you know going back to two days ago ex machina they talk about types later in that movie yeah you're programmed by whatever has nature or nurture or both. Yeah. Well, in, in this case, you're you're programmed by whatever has titillated you in the past, right? Like, mm-hmm. yep. yeah. Caleb, what's your type of girl? No, of salad dressing. Yeah, of girl. What's your type of girl? You know what? Don't even answer that. Let's say it's black chicks. Okay, that's your thing. For the sake of argument, that's your thing. Okay. Why is that your thing? Because you did a detailed analysis of all racial types and you cross-reference that analysis with a points-based system? No. You just attracted the black chicks. A consequence of accumulated external stimuli that you probably didn't even register as they registered with you. Did you program her to like me or not? I programmed her to be heterosexual. Just like you were programmed to be heterosexual. Nobody programmed me to be straight. You decided to be straight? Please, of course you were programmed by nature or nurture or both. And to be honest, Caleb, you're starting to annoy me now because this is your insecurity talking. This is not your intellect. Yeah, you've programmed yourself by having good experiences that you might want to repeat or reignite or exactly whatever. Yeah, yeah. she, whatever, the first time she was intrigued by him, but we see their first meeting eventually. She walks up and takes his chicken. He's sitting alone away from everyone else. Right. So, of course... The guy she sees alone on that same beach is going to get her attention. Yeah. Especially when he ends up on the same train as her going back to the same place. And I realize now as she gets out of the seat, we had talked about her orange coat on previous episodes. We talked about her hair, but I realize now her bag reminds me of the Cheshire cat. <laughs> sure. Cause it's like that purple and pink stripes. Yeah. And so I was looking up stuff about the Cheshire cat and I love this, this passage I found from Alice in Wonderland. And how do you know that you're mad? To begin with, said the cat, a dog's not mad. You grant that? I suppose so, said Alice. Well, then, the cat went on. You see, a dog growls when it's angry and wags its tail when it's pleased. Now I growl when I'm pleased and wag my tail when I'm angry. Therefore, I'm mad. And I'm reading that as I'm watching the minute, and then she punches him, and I'm like, yeah, that fits. Yeah, that works. (laughs) I mean, it's a playful punch, but she's... She does it hard. And I feel like she did it hard. It's not in the script that she hits him. 
And Jim Carrey's reaction looks genuine. Uh, like, I think she heard him. Could be. <laughs> Which is funny yeah. to me. And I mean, she's angry. She's upset. Mm-hmm. But she's not like starting a punching fight with him. Right. So, it- right. She might even be angrier than she thinks she should be in the situation. Mm, sure. you know? I'm sure she's come on to guys before and they didn't go for it. But for some reason, this one is getting her attention a little bit more. Yeah. You might not even know why. No. She also erased parts of herself recently. True. So she's got this whole wagging when she's sad or happy or whatever that metaphor was. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Because, yeah, she's grinning as she gets up. Yeah. And it's like a I'm happy grin. Whereas he's, she's like, take care then. And he's like, Jesus. She leaves. In this exchange, they've been talking about hair color. He had suggested old yeller in the script. And now he offers Karen Black, which was funny because she complimented his use of old yeller, even as she's mad and getting up. That's not in the film, unfortunately. (laughs) And then we cut to the stairs with Joel exiting and he's walking slow. He's thinking and he looks back up the stairs like he's hoping she's there behind him, but she's not. So he just keeps walking. I know that look when you're trying to to make... Oh, fancy meeting you here when you've been standing there all day kind of <laughs> thing. You know, it's a very Seinfeldian sort of setup Yeah, to be positioning yourself where you just accidentally bump into the person that you totally want to on purpose bump into. So it's got a strong, socially awkward scream. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He does the right thing and is that he doesn't pause at the bottom of the stairs and wait for her. Right. She's not there. So he keeps going. Yeah. But then we cut to the view out of his car. Out the side window as Clem is walking past some shops. Music playing on the radio, although you can barely hear it, is Something by The Willows, hmm. which I believe, I don't remember if it's this song or another song by them is featured in The Science of Sleep, which Michelle Gondry had directed. Yeah, nice. In the lyrics, it's uh, got, you know, she tries, she tried and tried. Shoots and sorrows are over now, an opportune in a world of dreams. It's like that opportune moment that just passed, except now Joel has a second chance for this second chance. (laughs) It's a good thing she is so distinctly wardrobed, right? Yeah. Blaze orange hoodie and purple hair really makes it, you're like, is that her? I can't, oh, no, that's that's definitely her. That's her. Yeah. Yeah, she's a standout. Purple bag, orange coat, blue hair, that's her. Yeah. The little conversation through the window. But he, he asks if she needs a ride yep. and she feigns this, like, mm, I'm thinking about it. And then she feigns this step Yeah, she forward. does this, this big dramatic step, like she's getting ready to walk away. Yeah. And then, yeah, okay. Because yeah. he says it's cold. Yeah. She says, yeah, okay. And she's already taken her bag off by the time he opens the door from inside. Yeah. And she says, yeah, it is frosty. Yeah. Her little skip is, is fairly adorable. Mm-hmm. You know, Kate Winslet, I mean, she's she's just one of those people who doesn't, it's always her, right? Like you can always see her, mm-hmm. but she has this amazing range that she can just sort of emote. And like, yeah. I mean, this scene is very like physical comedy almost, right? Where she does her, her little skip back yeah, the to the car, step. but it, it's so effectively, I don't know, communicating the the age, the temperament, lots of things about Clem in, in this little snippet here. It's, you know, the, the punch. The skip, the the smile as she punches. It, it's, this minute is is really a good Clem definer. Yep, and Joel yeah. in a way because he's still shut down. But yeah, true. Now for filming in the car. Back to the American cinematographer article. Occasionally, the overlapping demands of long takes, naturalistic lighting, and cramped locations resulted in downright comical configuration behind the camera. For instance. Instead of staging a car scene with a process trailer, Curris, Knorr, two cameras, and one assistant squeezed into the rear passenger seat 
to film both angles of the scene in which Carrie drives a car for real and Winslet rides along. The bulky mags required for the long take wouldn't fit inside the car, so the crew hung them out the windows, which then had to be boxed in for sound. But as usual, we were shooting with only available lights, says Curris, so we had to build a tiny muslin and plexiglass exterior for the mags, or we would have been totally dark in the back. And of course, the car wasn't a Lincoln Continental with four doors, it was a tiny Toyota. First assistant camera, Carlos Guerra, was sitting between the two cameras, pulling focus on both at the same time. (laughs) Talk about going in the completely opposite direction of a studio picture. That's impressive. Yeah. So a lot of this movie is filmed with mostly natural lighting or whatever they could hide. They didn't use big like soft boxes of lights for the vapor lamps out on the street. They just put more light up on the lamp itself to make it a little brighter. Yeah. And then had two cameras running at the same time most of the time, which is interesting. Yeah. That's sort of low tech solutions to problems that you've sort of built for yourself. By <laughs> Yeah. If I remember, I'll post a link in the description for this episode for that American cinematographer article, because they get into a lot of that conflict of the director of photography had to figure out how to work with less light. Yeah. I'd be interested to read that. That sounds interesting. Fascinating. Stupendous. No, I don't know. I just said the same word twice. So I'm trying to dig my way out of it. <laughs> just say nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Also, you know, they didn't have to remove the rear view mirror either. I mean, like they just sort of kept it out of frame, but it's clearly still in the car. Yeah. I guess if it's angled just right, neither camera is getting it. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah. That was always my favorite trick in the, in the old movies. Just, you know, oh, that's funny. Just remove it. Yeah. Strangely, (laughs) no, no mirror in that car. Okay. Especially on close-ups that it's like, there's still that little attachment point. (laughs) So it's reminding you there's no mirror. Exactly. If there's nothing, it's like, whatever, we won't notice. Right. So she does get in the car. She says, you're not a stalker or anything, right? And she's already in his car driving away. Right. It's a little too late to find out. In the script, he says, stalker Channing? No, that's not really a color, is it? Quit while I'm ahead. So he's still trying to come up with hair colors. (laughs) Clem says, you can't be too careful about stalkers. I've been stalked. I've been told by experts I'm highly stalkable. I don't need that. But in the film, he just responds, I'm not a stalker. You're the one that talked to me, remember? She tells him that is the oldest trick in the stalker book. Highly stockable. I mean, that's sort of a compliment, but that's a dangerous compliment, right? Like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like Joel's reply when he finds out that there's a stalker book, right? He's like, yeah, oh, I gotta read that. I gotta read that one, dude. That's creepier than being a stalker. I think is wanting to be a stalker, but But she smiles at that. Yes, she's obviously not taking it as him wanting to be a stalker to stalker. It's taken as the jest that it is. Right. Plus, she works at a bookstore. So if he wants to read a book, that's a good sign. Right. Because he might have to come by. Right. They didn't exchange phone numbers yet. So just come by the store. We'll find you that stalker book. Mm -hmm. Classic. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, the minute ends with him saying, I got to read that one. And she smiles. Yeah. She has gotten in his car and I couldn't figure out where they are, but I tried. Uh, yeah, that could be anywhere, really. I mean, that's... Yeah, you, you, the sign on the one store is sort of readable, but it's a weird font and I couldn't do it. That's what I like to obsess about. Because this is them coming back from Montauk, right? Yes. In theory, they're somewhere around Rockville Center, which is where they supposedly both live. But his apartment is in Yonkers, the one they used for his apartment. And her apartment, I think, is also in Yonkers, but also doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Her building was torn down. This could very easily be Rockville Center. Has that same sort of storefronty. This isn't the shops that we see later in the film that are specifically near his apartment. Yeah. Anything else on 
the minute um, or the movie or life? I mean, it <laughs> just, you know, th- this could have happened to me in a, in a different, you know, like this. It's weird to say that you identify with such a disturbing situation, right? Like yeah. where you'd go to the, to those lengths, but like, you know, if this were readily available technology, I, I probably know a long list of people who would have indulged. There's a lot of emotional writhing and tormenting through, I imagine that most suburban kids, you know, I imagine in my early twenties, I would have been tempted. Yeah. And as I, as we discussed, I think last week or the week before, I don't think it costs any money. So Hmm. yeah. Why not try it? Sure. Why not? (laughs) Of course, then I'm going to make some horrible decisions. (laughs) Well, of course. I mean, like if you, those who don't uh, learn from their past, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you erased it, I don't know. Yeah. I had some thoughts about, you know, trying to construct the perfect, you know, I was sort of like thinking through this in in the time looping sort of scenario mm-hmm. where they're trying to construct the perfect way through their day to, to get out of this or, or whatever. Yeah. I was sort of thinking about the memory collection points, right? Like where you're trying to get all of the physical items out and trying to catalog all the memories that you want to erase and things like that and how that's sort of they're perfect preparation, but I, I didn't quite make the connections there that I was hoping to. So I don't, I, because like the, the downfall to that was that, you know, Joel kept some things. I mean, that, that wasn't the only yeah. downfall, but that was one of the downfalls. He doesn't do it deliberately, but he does realize later he has a drawing of her. Yeah. 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 I, I, I feel, I, as you were saying that, I'm like, I think I would do that deliberately. I think I would too. Right. Like, like I'd keep something just to see what happens. I would, I would think that I wanted to forget about it, but then the, the reality of totally forgetting about it is almost as heartbreaking as the not forgetting about it, right? Well, yeah. Like a few minutes ago when he opened his journal, he's like, I haven't had an entry in two years. Yeah. Like, What does he think the last two years have been like for him? Yeah. Does he think he suffered such horrible depression that he just didn't write anything down or didn't like, what do you replace the memories with? Well, Robert, I, I cannot empathize with being in such a terrible mental state for two years that you wouldn't write anything in your journal. <laughs> Um, having, you know, just lived through whatever this is. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, agree that it's being presented with the gaps, right? Like it's not the seamless, uh, it's all gone sort of experience that he was led to believe. And then, you know, whether he subconsciously or not sabotaged it by keeping some memorabilia around, it's mm-hmm. right. It's all very heartbreaking. Or even if he just forgot something and then yeah. it shows up, what does that object mean now in his head? Yeah. The pieces of those memories come back, but now they detached from all the emotions they had before. Is that better or worse? Yeah. A state of confusion. Or just so much of this. <laughs> like he, he took the day off work. He doesn't know why. Did he ever do that before? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Has he ever? Does he think that's how he's getting out of his two years of depression? Right. And if so, why doesn't he latch on to this woman who's clearly trying to make his day more interesting? Yeah, right. Like, you know, the the cure for a bad breakup is the rebound, right? Yeah. So if you don't know that you're depressed because you've had a bad breakup, you don't know to rebound. (laughs) You know, you've screwed up the natural cycle of things. Yeah, right. Well, and in the original script, he just had like a one night thing with his ex-girlfriend just recently. Mm. And so that would just make this even weirder. That Why is she your ex? What happened there? Why have you not gotten back together? If you get along, this gap is right. You shouldn't think these movies through yeah. too much. I mean, depending on your own mental state, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't. Right. Like, 
what is Phil Connors or Will Cage doing in all the time you don't see them? I don't want to know. Is Caleb's only memory the accident that killed his parents? Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) And if listeners, if you're only listening to this show. Yeah. It's someone should connect all these things together with another thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I guess if listeners want to hear you talk about other things, where can they do it? Well, I'm all over the internet talking about various terrible things, <laughs> but yeah. you know, the most focused and directed source to hear me talk about things is edgeoftomorrowminute.com, which houses all the episodes to date and probably some future ones for <laughs> us talking about the movie Edge of Tomorrow, the 2014 Doug Lyman, Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, Time Looper dealie. Come there, check it out, like, and subscribe, rate, and whatever you do with the internet. I don't know. Yeah, I should start asking listeners to, you know, review my shows, but I never no, do. I think <laughs> I don't care. I think enough. you know, you've listened. That's enough, I think, right? Yeah. Maybe tell someone else that you enjoyed it if you did, right? Like don't make it up. If you didn't enjoy it, just keep it to yourself. No, make it up. Tell people you enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> Even if you didn't. Tell your lie. tell your enemies that you really enjoyed this when you didn't. Yeah. You know, you put the lie in listening. <laughs> Wait. That's not how it's pronounced. Close enough. I mean, if you take out a lot of letters in the middle, all the right letters yeah. are there. Licensing. Wait, that sounds like licensing. That's or different like thing. if you're, you've seen these specialty boutiques that uh, remove the lice from your children. <laughs> I think, I guess that's probably yeah. de-licensing. No? Yeah. De-licensing. Yeah. Right. So thank you for de-licensing. <laughs> Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minusha X Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute and every Thursday for more eternal sunshine. Follow this show on Twitter at spotless underscore minute, on Instagram at spotless minute, on Facebook, because of stupid Facebook rules, ESOTS minute. I couldn't name the page eternal sunshine of the spotless minute, and it bugs me every time. There's too many words in common with the actual page yeah, for the movie. Yeah, I'd say take it up with the coders at Blue Book or something. No, wait, yeah. that's the wrong. I got to talk to Nathan about that. Yeah. I'll get Oscar Isaac on the show and ask him. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group, Lemming Drops Studio Tour. And you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. Mm-hmm.